0: This is Edward Mazur, Chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our speaker today was Gia Biagi, the Commissioner of the Chicago Department of Transportation. Gia was appointed Commissioner in December of 2019. She oversees a department of 1,300, responsible for Chicago's roadways and bridges, sidewalks, bike lanes, the bike sharing system, traffic signals and signage, street lights, the permitting of activities in the public right-of-way, and much, much more. Her topic ranged from reinvigorating transportation in Chicago to the future, the post-COVID Chicago. The city has 4,000 streets, 2,000 alleys, 300 miles of bikeways, and the largest bike share program in the United States. So streets are much more than walking and parking on. Commissioner Biaggi stressed the fact that the quality of streets are directly related to the quality of life in Chicago. Transportation is expensive. She's very involved in developing affordable alternatives that will allow people to move about the city, be transported quickly, safely, and equitably. We have 10 miles of shared streets in Chicago currently, 300 restaurants operating at 150 locations in the streets of Chicago. So the streets are no longer a place to move us from point A to point B. By August of 2021, one year from today, we expect over 10,000 electronic bikes in Chicago that will allow people to commute further with less effort. Scooters are coming back again in the next couple of weeks. All in all, Commissioner Biagi said all these developments create jobs, reduce emissions, and provide a healthier environment for the citizens of Chicago.
1: At this time, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to us our commissioner of the Department of Transportation, Gia Biagi. Welcome, Gia.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Thanks for that great introduction, Ed. So I'm so glad to be here today to talk about the road ahead for our city when it comes to transportation and the role that our streets can play in addressing some of our biggest public policy challenges. But first things first, uh, if you're planning to fill up the chat room with the location of that pothole you'd like me to fix or that street light that's out, I'm gonna give you my direct line. You ready? It's three, one, one. That's it. I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. I mean, the fact is having an additional 2.7 million pairs of eyes on our streets helps our efforts to maintain our infrastructure. So call it in, use the app. But how we leverage that kind of collective effort, one that's informed by your knowledge, community-based knowledge of what's experienced and what's needed and what is wanted, has everything to do with how we move our city forward together. You know, I wanna take a moment to thank Mayor Lightfoot for inviting me to join her administration and for the leadership and resolve she demonstrates every day navigating between the pressing challenges of the present while working toward a vision for a more equitable, just and sustainable future for all Chicagoans. And I wanna thank the 1300 employees at the Chicago Department of Transportation for their dedication, hard work, every day, pandemic or not, they are working to make our city a better place. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here now to lead CDOT and serve our city in this moment when investments in people, places, and partnerships are needed more than ever, when right now is the time to reimagine our streets and our transportation system and work toward a new future for transportation in Chicago. So before we reimagine anything, let's start with what we've got. So at CDOT, we have one of the largest transportation and infrastructure portfolios in the United States. With 4,000 miles of streets, 2,000 miles of alleys alone, if you stacked it end to end, it would go from Chicago to Tokyo. We are a city of sidewalks and bridges and viaducts that we all manage here at CDOT. And add that, add to that thousands of streetlights, street signs, signals, and intersections. As Harbor Master, we share responsibility for 150 miles of city waterways that includes Lake Michigan's shoreline, the Chicago River system, the Calumet River, tributary, so much more. And we are increasingly a city of bikeways. With 300 miles worth, we are rapidly growing and connecting that network. And in addition to the more than 13,000 bike racks we place so you can keep your bike safe and secure when you get to where you're going, we operate the largest bike share program in North America, Divi, and that reaches 100 square miles of our city. Now, bike share is a critical piece of our transit network. It's nearly as fundamental a part of our system as the buses and trains managed by our friends at the CTA. So we've got a lot on our plate. Now, it's easy to think of transportation and CDOT as the sum total of the infrastructure that we manage, but we're more than that. We help connect people to the meaningful destinations in their life, to jobs, education and recreation to health care, food and housing, to family, to friends, loved ones. We invest in neighborhoods and community well-being by making places better for walking, biking, shopping and socializing. We're about much more than roads and the cars that drive on them. We're about everyone who works, lives, plays and moves on our streets. You know, if we add up the numbers pre COVID on our metropolitan area, jobs, 4.2 million. Our city's equivalent of the GDP, our gross metro product, 700 billion. Our parks, we got 600 of them. Schools, 640. Uh, Colleges and universities, 100. 7,000 restaurants, festivals, Fortune 500 companies. Combine that with our streets, our sidewalks, our transit system together. Those are the building blocks that should generate opportunity, access and prosperity for everyone. But we know that's not the case. Now this map from uh, one of my alma mater's, UIC's Voorhees Center, it may look familiar to you by now. It's been making the rounds. It demonstrates the concentrations of wealth and spatialization of poverty across our city over the last 40 years. This map, is fundamentally a construct of policy choices stitched into our built environment. Our obligation is to make a new map, a map that reflects a city that's met the challenge of ending generational poverty and economic hardship for so many of our citizens. Now the quality of our streets and the access they provide must be in service of this idea. We can't keep moving at the same old pace in the same old direction. We need to be intentional about where we're going and what investments in transportation can do to help us get there. And we need to make equity the foundation upon which that work sits and economic justice our aim. It's important to acknowledge that transportation is expensive. Combined with housing costs, this eats up 43% of household income, far more than the 30%, that's the high end of what's considered affordable for those kinds of costs. That number's even higher for our metro area, on average eating up half of household incomes. Now, the single biggest transportation cost for a lot of Chicagoans is buying, maintaining, and driving that car. Every decision we make about transportation should be able to help reduce those costs for Chicagoans, and that means providing more affordable and reliable alternatives to driving. Our streets, and what we do with them has a role to play in this. And our streets, they belong to all of us. Like every neighborhood in Chicago, every street in our city has its own character, its own feel, history, context. They are the places of everyday life and reflect a different lived experience from one block to the next. And right now, the lived experience that we are sharing, our streets are places of promise and protest, of activity and assembly, of celebration and sorrow. Our streets are also where we experience violence, whether from traffic crashes, guns, or other forms. Our streets are not neutral background to these challenges, but they are, in fact, important resources to help address those challenges. We must ask ourselves, what does justice look like? Mobility justice? climate justice, economic justice, racial equity, and what do our streets have to do with that? So getting there, going down that road is hard. It's a hard road, and it's made more difficult. Everything right now is more challenging with the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, in the days of the stay-at-home order, our streets emptied out, traffic disappeared, and transit ridership fell. And people who could stay home did, or work from home did. But the fact is Chicago never fully shut down. Even in the heart of the pandemic, essential workers commuted every day. Transit employees helped people get to jobs into stores by bus and train. Healthcare workers provided care for all of us, reporting for their shifts. Construction crews went to their job sites and so many among us kept Chicago moving. And you can see how much of our lives happens in our streets, even during COVID, including our support and care for one another. Now, if we think back to March and April, it was definitely a bit of a ghost town on some of our streets. And yes, uh, that's an actual coyote roaming around Michigan Avenue. The lower traffic volumes gave us an incredible opportunity though, to rethink our streets. 4,000 miles of streets is 4,000 miles of opportunity. So what did we do? We asked Chicagoans to tell us how they were experiencing their streets and what they needed and what they wanted during this unprecedented time. We had an outpouring of interest in ideas, especially from people looking to make their local streets accessible for recreation while maintaining that safe social distance from others. We heard from folks wanting more transit options and bikeways. We also heard from restaurants needing more space to serve customers and from people who just wanted us to keep our trucks moving and keep our shovels in the ground. And you can see from the, this map clusters, but also the range of interests that people had and what to do with our streets right now. What did we do? We responded. We now have more than 10 miles of shared streets. These are places where people are the priority and have plenty of room to walk, bike, and even see their neighbors, You know, from a safe, safe social distance, of course. And we now have more than 300 restaurants in our make way for dining program at 150 locations across the city. These are in streets, they're on sidewalks and curb lanes, on parking lots, on vacant lots and more. This was a combined effort with the departments of cultural affairs and special events, think street festivals and business affairs and consumer protection, along with the Illinois Restaurant Association, not an easy lift. But it all hands effort we got there it's, it's been transformative really helping us think differently as a city about our streets as places and it's been an economic lifeline for restaurants and bars the companies and their supply chains and importantly for people in the service industry that work there we've also worked to make it easier to move around during covid this spring we provided half price Divi memberships to over 5,000 people and more than 28,000 people took advantage of our dollar Divi rides. We also partnered with our operator, Lyft, to continue to provide free 30-day memberships to medical workers, and more than 1,000 have taken advantage of that opportunity. And we offered learn-to-ride classes for adults, so sign up if you don't know how to ride a bike, uh, but for adults who are finally ready to take up biking. Now our goals with these and other C.-COVID responses were that whatever we did, it had to contribute to community health and well-being. It had to connect the dots in ways that improve the transportation network and our experience of the public realm. And most importantly, it reflected listening to communities and not assuming that a one-size-fits-all response works for everyone. Our experience with these transformations over the last couple of months It's taught us some important lessons. We are reminded that streets are not just a space you move your way through on the way to somewhere else. Our streets are places that lift up communities, that support our economy, that connect us to one another. A few parking spaces and a curb lane can become a destination for hundreds of people and keep small businesses afloat. These are not just good things to do during a pandemic or an emergency. They represent what our streets can be and do every day. So what makes these projects successful, these streets? What are the values that turn these lessons into successful policies? Ones that support every Chicago neighborhood day after day, year after year? Safe, comfortable and inviting streets must be our foundation. And if we listen well to communities, what safe, comfortable, and inviting means and what it looks like will be different depending on their own experiences. We must connect that understanding with the way we think about policies like Vision Zero, which is our promise to work toward ending fatalities from traffic crashes. Zero means breaking the spell that traffic fatalities are inevitable. Zero means recognizing that Black and Brown Chicagoans are twice as likely to die in traffic crashes than whites. And zero means investing in neighborhoods that are disproportionately more difficult to walk, bike, and take public transit than others. Last year, we launched Vision Zero Westside that includes East Garfield Park, West Garfield Park, North Lawndale, Austin, and a number of other neighborhoods. It's an area that's a quarter of the city's population, but has more than a third of our city's traffic fatalities. Now, our study found that over 70% of these fatalities involve dangerous driving, like speeding, failure to yield, driving under the influence. And what we know is, though, that if you change the design of the street, you can influence the behavior on that street and make a real difference. Preventing traffic crashes requires everybody working together and dedicating resources to make a difference. We must put that kind of thinking and effort in service of ensuring the safety and well-being of everyone on our streets and sidewalks. We need to get to zero on all forms of violence on our streets. We are committed at CDOT to putting our tools, resources, knowledge in pursuit of that. And in our 2021 capital program, we will dedicate funds to Vision Zero and move these plans into projects. This is what moving toward mobility justice looks like. Another key value, equitable access to affordable, sustainable transportation must be the norm. We must help provide choices for getting around, thoughtfully connect the gaps in our transit network, and play our part in supporting equitable, transit-oriented development. This is about economic and climate justice. Our expansion of bike share, for example, is just the latest in a comprehensive set of responses that helps answer some of these challenges. Last month, we announced and began to deploy 65 new bike share stations on the far south side. This adds 55 new square miles to our bike share service area. And by this time next year, the entire city will have access, stations citywide. We're also adding more than 10,000 electric bikes to the system, e-bikes, uh, not the kind that uh, Simon Cowell fell off of. These are a different different kind. Uh, we'll still have our blue bikes, but these e-bikes, they'll help you commute a little further with a lot less effort. And our Divi for Everyone program makes both kinds of bikes an affordable option with free or heavily discounted memberships for people who need it. And love them or hate them, and I am sure everyone has an opinion, we brought back scooters. And for it's for part two of our pilot program. Now, this time, it's citywide, for the most part, for the next four months. But remember, it's not about the scooter. It's about creating more options for people to move around the city, covering that last mile to the L-stop, or making it easier for people to commute between neighborhoods that aren't well served by buses and trains. And critically, these tools, bikes, scooters, and others like them, they create jobs, they reduce congestion and emissions, and they give us a fighting chance to improve our environment. So uh, give the scooters a try. Help us make a good decision about what to do with this kind of sustainable micromobility in the long term. So while we've been reflecting on our COVID response and the values that should underpin our efforts We've also been hard at work in the field, using the traffic lull to get ahead with our infrastructure programs and to make sure that the benefits of our transportation system reach those who need it the most. Investing in our streets is investing in the health of our communities. All neighborhoods need well-maintained streets. They support local business, encourage inclusive development, and provide economic opportunities. Our mayor has launched a number of measures to achieve this, but including Invest South and West. And we're bringing to it new street signs, new sidewalks, trees, ramps, and more. And we're making serious infrastructure upgrades, like this project at 59th and Halstead, part of the future Englewood Line Rails to Trails project. This is the before picture and now after. It's a dramatic shift and much of this work was done by CDOT crews in-house work to bring about these transformative changes. Now, along that kind of corridor and others, there's a lot we can do to also make CTA's buses and trains the best option through better sidewalks, through optimizing stop locations, building new train stations and helping implement more bus priority lanes. Again, broadening the reach, reducing the friction between where people are and where they need to go and leveraging our infrastructure investments to get there. Now, there's more work to do, especially to ensure a just recovery. Transportation has been at the center of the analysis, the response strategies during the coronavirus shutdown, as we talk about reopening and implement it, and recovery. We need to continue to take urgent actions to help communities be better positioned for success and not merely restore the status quo. And it is partnership at every level across organizations, with neighborhoods, public and private together that will make lasting change possible. If we wanna move toward justice around mobility and climate and economy, our transportation planning must be done in solidarity with communities. We are working every day to improve transparency and our relationships with neighborhoods and so many of our stakeholders to build trust in an ongoing way, a longitudinal way, not just around the project of the day. With that trust, you can gain local knowledge. Local knowledge is critical. It's the expertise that comes from people who live on the block, who know more about their street than I ever will. That expertise is as important as the expertise we bring to the table as designers, engineers, planners, and transportation specialists. So this, this is our moment to redraw the map, to start where we are, with what we have, and imagine what's possible, to take active steps, intentional ones, to make real that more equitable, prosperous, sustainable, and just city. And we will leverage our transportation infrastructure our programs, our services and policies to get there. This is the road ahead for our streets, the road ahead for our city. So I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this today with you. Thank you to Mayor Lightfoot for your support. And I look forward to working with all of you on that road ahead.
1: Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Gia the Department of Transportation, City of Chicago. And now, Commissioner, we have time for some questions. Well, the first one is really a, a pat on the back. So then we'll get to those tougher questions. This is from City Club member, Christy Weber from Christy Weber Landscapes. And she basically says, congratulations. We couldn't be more proud as Chicagoans of you and the job that you're doing. So thank you, Christy, and I'm sure Gia appreciates that very much. Thank you. Um, The next question is from Janet Atarian, who's with the Smith Group. She wants to know, what are the next steps for the Riverwalk? And do you have some thoughts on how to fund those next steps?
2: Yeah, thank you for the question and uh, hello to Janet, who uh, was a really important influence on CDOT for many years, particularly around our programs like Make Way for People um, that our Make Way for Dining could inherit. So thank you, Janet, for all the work you for Chicago and then also for Detroit, and now uh, hopefully back working in Chicago. So uh, the next steps for the Riverwalk, we're really interested in turning the corner. So you've seen the work um, that was done uh, in the portions of the downtown that have really been a phenomenal change in the way that we work with our river, and that was decades really in the works. And so what we want to do is turn the corner and head south. Um, We're getting ready to put out on the street an RFP for anyone to throw their hat in the ring to help develop a framework for that next set of miles as we head from downtown and toward Pingtown Park uh, uh, in uh, Route 18th Street. Um, So we're definitely looking forward to uh, getting that out and getting the best ideas. There's certainly a lot of development that's occurring along the way. You have the 78, um, you have a number of other um, uh, major projects happening there. And so we need that framework and to develop the public space in between um, to help us make sure that it's a really coherent investment, particularly as these major development anchors come on board. Um, toward the questioning of funding, it's a great one. Um, and certainly the uh, TIFIA loan that helped um, the first part of the Riverwalk was significant. And, you know, obviously we're entering into a different time and a different place. And we're, we have a number of budget challenges, uh, but we are still looking for those creative financing mechanisms um, as well. Recognize that we may have to put up some funds up front to get this going and give the economy some time to catch up. But I think i want to point out that uh, you know and i appreciate the question because we are open for business chicago is open we are putting shovels in the ground we are getting work done and it's not just about getting those projects in place that every time we put a shovel in the ground that is people in jobs that is supply chains that are hooked in that is confidence and that is a signal to the world that chicago we are going to come back even stronger so um, I, you know, help us get the word out uh, because that's something that is a way that we can say to the world um, that we are continuing to rise.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you for that question. Um, you sort of answered part of this next question, but perhaps you'd care to elaborate. This is from Leanne Thomas Foster. And she wants to know, how have CDOT's operations been affected by the loss of revenue in 2020, and how will this impact 2021? She also wants to know, will there be a reduction of staffing and or projects moving forward as a result of the projected $700 million budget shortfall?
2: Great, Uh, thanks Leanne for that question. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I think that I get asked the most is both how did COVID affect operations uh, and what are the prospects, given the, some of the economic uncertainty that we're facing? You know, and I think when, you know, certainly in terms of operations, there were some basics um, that we changed, like so many companies uh, and organizations had to adapt Um, whether that was making sure that we were breaking up our crews in cabs so you could drive to a job site and be socially distanced, making sure we had hand washing stations and masks and hand sanitizer, Um, all of those, they seem like small things, but as we know that it adds time to your day, there are new protocols, uh, figuring out how to operate uh, with, with rules and policies that are influenced by some changing health data on a daily basis was certainly challenging. Uh, But I think, you know, we've adapted, I think, admirably, and it had mostly to do with, I think, the can-do spirit of the team at CDOT. You know, we have about 200 of our 1,300 employees um, that were able to telework. So, you know, in about two days, we trained 200 people on how to use Microsoft Teams and and sent them home. And we never missed a beat. And in fact, I think we got more efficient in a number of other things, particularly, you know, the stack of, of paper that I would typically be signing every day We've digitized those things and we've been able to communicate and and well um, in the everyday work that we're doing. So those adaptations probably look uh, familiar to everyone. I think one of the things we could take advantage of was that lull in traffic. And in fact, we've been able to accelerate construction projects, Um, for example, our work on uh, Michigan Avenue uh, by the Art Institute, where uh, we had some utility projects that we were able to accelerate, then we were able to come through um, and do the, the paving and the reconstruction work. Those are the kinds of things that uh, created unique opportunities um, because of uh, the moment that we're in. You know, and obviously um, budget is a big concern. And I think uh, we've probably all heard about the $700 billion deficit that the city is looking at. Um, and I think one of the things that we're thinking through is how can we be as efficient as possible with what we have which is something that this department has done but how do we integrate more technology for example that increases the capacity of of the work that we're able to do Um, we're certainly going to look hard at every line item Um, we uh, for example i mentioned You know things like TIFU loans and things like other revenue sources that are supported by activities like the River uh, Walk and the boating that happens there. Um, Things like our motor fuel tax revenue that is dependent on, well, motors, motorists and fuel. Um, And that revenue we expect to be down uh, probably about 30% going into next year. Um, So those are really significant adaptations. In some cases, um, that's on a project basis. In some cases, we'll have to look at our capacity. So um, that's all things that we're working through right now. And our goal is to make sure that we're still able to deliver services Um, as efficiently as possible um, and making sure that we can keep, you know, both the shovels in the ground and the programs on the streets to achieve all of those goals that I was talking about.
1: Fantastic. Uh, This next question, commissioner is from John Mick, who's with Baxter and Woodman. He's a member of the city club. His question is, we understand that budgets are stressed due to COVID. When do you forecast more RFQs, for varied engineering services for multi-year task order contracts?
2: Okay, Um, and I think it's a great question that fits into what I was talking about earlier um, with the Riverwalk. And so we, like I mentioned, we're still open for business and we wanna get work out the door. Um, We have the benefit of looking forward to some of the rebuild funds that coming out of the state. Um, And even while some of those infrastructure revenues Uh, may not be as high as we want them to be, Um, we are looking forward to continuing to move ahead with our arterial resurfacing, with our major streetscape projects. Um, You can see it all across the city. So obviously there's been other priorities uh, when it comes to addressing some of our city's response to COVID. But uh, in terms of the work that we're doing, we expect to put a healthy number of contracts out on the street. Uh, Thank you for your patience and keep looking out for it. We're still moving forward. So I look forward to um, seeing lots of responses to our bids.
1: Very good. This uh, next question, uh, Karen Raitan and Susan Schnell, could you talk a little bit more about Vision Zero framework and how it may be expanded to address community violence that happens in so many of our streets?
2: Well, thank you for that question. And it's really significant that we are connecting the dots between Vision Zero, which I'll talk about a little bit in terms of some of its history and where we are, um, and then what that has to do with community safety. So in Vision Zero, as I mentioned, is this idea that a traffic crash is fundamentally preventable, it is. Um, There are lots of tools that we have and strategies that we have to get there, whether, and particularly, Physical changes to the built environment are key here, but also is really understanding that, as I mentioned it a couple of times, that lived experience in neighborhoods, right? There's a lot of factors that have to do with where vehicles are traveling fast, where are people trying to get to? Are there alternatives to being in a car that can reduce the number of cars? Are there options to lower speed limits? Are there potentials to create bump outs and more protected lanes and managing our signaling um, Vision Zero is looking at all of those things, and it's uh, it's an initiative that really came out. It's an international one. Um, most major cities have a platform around it, and we've obviously been working through. We've done a downtown Vision Zero plan. I mentioned West Side, and now we're pivoting to doing a South Side Vision Zero plan. But to connect the dots to larger forms of violence, uh, we cannot be working in communities with our head down, imagining the only challenge folks are, chasing, are, are facing are traffic crashes. We have to understand that if we don't provide a, and participate in creating a larger sense of safety in communities, that we're only looking at one piece of a much bigger puzzle. When we look at moving the needle on things like violence, there are lots of factors. There are things like certainly there's violence prevention. Certainly there's also um, how we engage young people. There's also jobs and economic improvement. There are also all kinds of programmatic things that can be occurring. So you look at these forces that kind of have something to do with moving the needle on creating safe space, and we have tools that can help with that. When we invest in, for example, streetscapes and commercial corridors, what we're doing is setting the conditions for economic development. When we make a street lively and inviting, places where people want to be, places where people want to shop, if you want to stick around, you linger in those places, you spend more money at those stores, you help lift up those local businesses, creating places too for people to gather, that's fundamentally what we're doing in the public way. And when people gather, they create those, that strength through weak ties, those, those relationships with their neighbors that are the kind that build trust, are the kind that make for community solidarity in a crisis, and that becomes a network that enables people to respond are listening well to the experience of people on our streets. We listen to bikers and walkers. We also need to listen to people who are experiencing homelessness and on our streets. We also need to listen to folks um, that are uh, using the streets in ways that we don't typically um, engage in conversation. And so when we have that better understanding of that experience, then we can start to say, well, here's what we can do uh, associated with making this a more vibrant, welcoming, inviting community that might move the needle on economic development that then connects to lifting up communities and getting upstream of some of uh, the factors that have something to do with violence as a symptom. Um, there are programs that we have, for example, for reemployment. Uh, we have an amazing program called Green Court that helps get uh, returning citizens and folks with barriers to um, employment with credit challenges and sorts of things into tr- a year-long training program and then into trades like landscape and Um, environmental remediation and any number of things so we have a role to play in creating jobs in communities that are experiencing the economic challenges that are fundamentally connected to what people are experiencing um, in their neighborhoods now with violence being um, an epidemic that is connected to it Um, so there are a number of things it's a long conversation uh, but it's that kind of holistic thinking about neighborhood investment and being precise about where we're doing it and what our process is, how we work in partnership with uh, many of the really small community-based organizations and people that are working on that every day, how we create a seat at the table, we will learn things, we will know better where to put investments and how to connect the dots to that question. So that was a long answer, not meant to be a filibuster, um, but it's certainly uh, an important conversation. I think it's it's this idea of, you know, it's an all-hands-on-deck effort when it comes to a question like that. So every department, every organization, every you know business, we need to think, what are we doing? What can we do? You can't do it on your own, but we all have a set of tools. How do you put that in service of moving that public policy needle on that important challenge? That's what we're asking ourselves to do.
1: Thank you very much, Commissioner. As you said, that was a question that involved a very long answer. And the kinds of questions that our members and listeners submit to us are not usually Yes or no, but those kinds of uh, questions. But uh, you mentioned something about international efforts, and there's a question here from Randy Newfeld, who's with SRAM LLC. Now, Randy's not a member of the City Club, but we invite him to go to our website, as well as others who are not members, and consider joining the City Club of Chicago. We'd be delighted to have Randy and others. His question deals with, The mayor of the city of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, and other C40 cities are creating 15-minute cities where all vital resident needs are a short walk or bike ride away. What more does Chicago need to do to become a city of 15-minute neighborhoods?
2: It's a great question, Randy, you should be a member. I think you've certainly done some incredible work in your time here. Um, helping to make for uh, better streets and more mobility and walkability. So, uh, and, and thank you for the question. And and props to SRAM for being a good community partner, supporting efforts um, like the bike park down uh, the Lake Calumet area. So I, I can appreciate that you're on the line today. Yes. So 15 minute city. It's definitely a way of thinking about how we can create uh, more connected city. We can touch on some of those uh, important questions about walkability, about um, transit orientation. What does equitable transit-oriented transit, or, um, transit oriented development look like? Um, and I think it's, it's something that we're, we're moving toward. One of the things um, we're doing actually at CDOT right now is some strategic planning that's both in terms of organizational development, so how can we really optimize what we're doing, uh, really help the organization to reach some of these higher goals, but then also aspirational development, right? We need to set out some of those big goals and figure out what are the strategies, tactics to get there, and what are those metrics to measure. So um, there are a couple of things that we can do. One, I think, from a transportation perspective is certainly to be um, present and also to be an advocate for ideas that may be seen that are outside of our wheelhouse. But a transportation entity needs to be an advocate for affordable housing, right? Transportation entity needs to be an advocate for economic development. And that those two, those pieces and others together, if you add in sort of health and quality of life, you have, we have to make sure that we're looking around the table and saying, who's not here? How do we take what we know how to do and make that 15 uh, minute city possible. So so a couple of things too. I mean, there are certainly physical improvements that we need to make. Um, There's some catching up to do, um, whether it's in our bike infrastructure, whether it's in a really concerted effort to look at walkability. I mean, thinking about it, not just in terms of, let's say a 15 minute buffer zone that's a circle around a dot uh, in a neighborhood, but that we need to look at some of those impedance factors right? So what makes for 15 minutes, it may look like on a map that that grocery store is 15 minutes from your house. But if you have to get, you know, past an expressway, or through a tunnel, or, you know, there are other invisible barriers that you need to cross to get there, then we haven't done our job. So we need to sort of unpack uh, invisible barriers. And by that, that could be a gang or a crew line, that could be any number of things that we can't see, but our physical presence. Um, We also need to unlock how difficult it is perhaps for that person to get to that grocery store. And certainly food access is part of that 15 minute conversation. And then what do those physical barriers look like? And the way that we understand it though, as I mentioned, is not just a dot on a map with a buffer zone. We actually have to understand what people are experiencing in their communities to say, okay, what is the problem we're trying to solve? We get that. But what are the pathways to get there? that comes from kind of a one foot level conversation. Uh, Now, Mayor Hidalgo has been certainly doing some um, really aspirational, um, incredible things in Paris. And we are similarly working on all levels, uh, whether that's mobility, whether that's climate, um, we will be getting to that kind of level of thinking and implementation over time. So um, I think we have Certainly some work to do. We need to get to a stable place um, through this COVID crisis, um, but certainly more exciting things coming. Uh, So uh, don't hold your breath. You won't have to, uh, but we'll get there, I promise.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Randy, for that question. Uh, This question is from a uh, former city commissioner um, who's become very involved in redeveloping in the uh, Pullman-Roseland neighborhood, David Doig. And David wants to know, um, what is CDOT doing to support more good-paying jobs that industrial and manufacturing development creates? Specifically, he asks about heavy truckload corridors, industrial parks, viaducts, and more.
2: Yeah, thanks, David. So, you know, I think uh, David was my boss once, so, you know, I better, better answer well here. Um, And I I want to point out the pretty incredible work that's happening uh, in Pullman, thanks to David and so many other partners down there. Um, So, one of the things that we're doing is taking a concerted look at freight and movement of goods and services throughout the city. Um, We partner certainly uh, with the railroads on so many projects, and we're often um, leading on creating those interchanges that make it possible to both reduce the Vehicle congestion, but actually get trains and freight and goods through the city faster than ever. So, reducing those wait times. There's the CREATE program, um, which is a giant uh, federal program of a couple billion dollars that is making these changes. And so, part of that is making it possible for uh, the companies that are building these, uh, uh, that are creating the goods and services and moving them around to help support the fact that Chicago is a great city for logistics and distribution. And so there are those investments that we're making, whether it's through coordinating with rail, um, but then there's also the infrastructure improvements that we're making. And so investments in our bridges and viaducts, um, there's some physical infrastructure that we need to upgrade. Uh, With 316 bridge and viaduct structures across the city, uh, we need to make sure that we can get freight through. uh, We're working on particularly a Southside Freight Study that will help us understand that. And we recognize those conditions that we create make an opportunity for these companies to want to locate here and by extension are making us a center for jobs and for local employment. Um, And I think, you know, there are also other pieces of that. Obviously, um, you know, we've certainly worked uh, negotiating with some of the planned development projects and try to get some of those infrastructure improvements in place as part of those projects that match moving those goods and materials with also the kinds of day-to-day improvements people need in their transportation network looking for a win-win the whole way. So I think certainly um, we want to be able to continue to expand on our relationships with both those companies and the systems that need to move those goods around for that exponential impact.
1: Well thank you Commissioner and thank you David for having a wonderful employee who worked for you when you were the Commissioner and um We still have time for a couple more questions. This is from City Club member, Terry Sullivan, who's with the architectural firm of Johnson Lasky Kindler. What are some of the positive outcomes, commissioner of COVID that you might expect in the next couple years related to people adapting to new ways of utilizing public transit and open spaces?
2: Thank you for the question. you know, I, I think COVID has done a couple of things, at least uh, from my perspective. And and one is this opportunity to reset, for example, and think about what we do with our streets. Uh, you know, the example of the Make Way for Dining program uh, is, is an interesting one because not only have we been able to transform streets into places fundamentally, the piazza is here in Chicago Um, But also, we've had a lot of inquiries from both communities in our shared streets program, as well as uh, people who are enjoying that experience to say, well, what does this look like for the long term? Can we keep this? Um, What would this look like if we thought bigger about it? Um, How can we take what we're experimenting now with and make it real for the long term? I think the other piece of that is, you know, we're certainly... Concerned about a car apocalypse, um, you know, with the lower traffic levels, and we got a chance for the sort of dust to settle and see what the potential of our streets are. But with the challenge of social distancing and people wanting to stay in their cars, there's certainly concern about everybody wanting to drive up to the front door of their office um, and not take public transportation. So the opportunity, though, that that creates is one where, and we we work very closely with the Chicago Transit Authority, but looking at how can we actually take this opportunity to create more of bus priority lanes, for example. How can we move the flows of traffic uh, in a way that makes it possible for people to take that bus, uh, remain socially distances, run them more efficiently. Those kinds of things are really important opportunities. I think also in the way that we work, right? And so one of the interesting things, we did a lot of, um, we had a lot of conversations with companies um, that were trying to understand what, um, what was the prospectus for transit, what were the kinds of things that they could expect, and we in, in turn were asking questions like, "Well, when do you expect to have employees coming back to the office?" And obviously, that changes uh, depending on the data. Um, and so, sort of walking through these challenges, it's very clear that many companies, and you know, I'm sure there are folks in this call experiencing it, um, are having their employees continue to work from home. And so, I think part of the question is, and it touches close to that 15-minute neighborhoods one that Randy put in. How do we recognize that we have other centers of activity now um, where we may have different kinds of clusters of people working from home? How do we create the conditions and really use that as an opportunity um, to invest in the built environment um, and to really take advantage of the different ways that people are working? I think the other massive opportunity here is to really invest in that network of, um, of bikes and of the services that get people moving around in different ways. Um, we're very interested in looking at what's next, what comes after that scooter? What are, what are the ways that um, we can take this moment of a little more open streets and people's interest um, in not driving uh, and really run the table with it? So uh, more on that uh, in the near future, but it's, it's something that we're working on now.
1: Thank you. Um, Commissioner, this is a question from a retired CDOT, city traffic official, Chester Kropodlowski. I don't know if you know Chester, but he heads the transportation committee for the Lakeview Citizens Council. And he says during his more than three decades with the city, we always gave maintaining Lakeshore Drive, particularly North Lakeshore Drive, as a parkway, and we work to maintain the parkway qualities of the roadway. Transitways, e.g. bus lines, have become, quote unquote, politically correct to support. But Chester's concerned that dedicated bus lanes on North Lakeshore Drive will have a negative impact on the parkway as we now know it. His question is, does CDOT share his concerns about North Lakeshore Drive Parkway?
2: Well, thank you, and uh, I, I, I don't know, Chester, but thank you for the question. And it's, a, it's an important one. It's certainly on a project perspective and what we're hoping to do with North Lakeshore Drive, but I think the big picture on how do we balance how we use our public realm. Uh, it's absolutely important that CDOT support the bus network and public transit and find ways to make it as seamless and connected and accessible as possible. Um, And it's something that we're sifting through with the North Lakeshore Drive project. Um, We've been studying different options for how many lanes, is a lane bus only, is a lane uh, managed lane where you could have it be dedicated to bus for part of the day and and to cars and other parts of the day. But I think the challenge here is trying to find that balance. Um, Certainly, Lakeshore Drive has to perform lots of functions. It is moving vehicles. Um, it can be a really incredible opportunity for transit, but fundamentally, it's our front yard, right? It's our—it's sitting in uh, really the most dynamic uh, waterfront system, one of the most dynamic ones in the world. And so, you know, we think we can balance all of those things. Um, we need to commit to public transportation and supporting it, uh, but that doesn't mean sacrificing the experience of North Lakeshore Drive or in any of our neighborhoods, whether that's nested in the boulevard or elsewhere. So I think that's a project that uh, I hope you're coming to uh, the public meetings as we have them or the Zoom calls. Um, Please continue to engage with that process. Uh, We have a long way to go on it. Um, It's a combination of federal and state and local jurisdictions. uh, And we also have a lot of uh, money to run down to make it happen. Um, But it is time for that project to occur. And we're not gonna miss out on the aspiration Um, of making sure that both it's supporting movement of people in the smartest way possible, but that it is fundamentally nested in the incredible public space that it is.
1: Thank you. Uh, Our final question, and then we'll wrap up. This is from Reverend Robert Beekman. It's an interesting question, Commissioner. How can faith communities support the work of CDOT?
2: Great. Thank you, Pastor Beekman. Uh, I appreciate you getting on the line here. Um, I think that's a great one, too. So part of what I mentioned earlier was how do we gain both a better understanding of what people are experiencing in their communities? How do we build those relationships in a way that we can have an ongoing conversation about what we can do better, what services we can provide? Um, Those kinds of things, I think the faith community uh, which has an incredible networks and incredible trust, um, can be helpful to us in that level of understanding. Um, I think one of the things too, that we're interested in partnering way, in ways that we're not even thinking of. Um, one of the things we've been trying to do and, and COVID has certainly made it challenging, um, but is to partner with organizations that need their streets for other purposes, whether that's communing um, with their congregations or whether that is creating opportunities for peace building, Um, It's that's something that we want very much to do. um, We need partnership to do it. Uh, I also think that, you know, with faith communities, part of the part of what how we can work together um, is by you know, making sure that we are not only just listening well, but that we're communicating well. I think part of the challenge in a city so large, in a city of so many different experiences, um, one thing that we can always do better is to be transparent about what we're doing, and we need to build that network. Um, Faith communities are doing so much alongside uh, some of our nonprofits and our, our small organizations Um, that are really, really doing the work every day that you might not see to make our city better, to reduce violence, to do all of those things. I think we need to make sure that we've got you at the table um, to help us understand how we can do our work better. Thank you.
0: And
1: thank you, Commissioner, for joining with us today. Um, We'd like to present you with a one-year complimentary membership in the City Club of Chicago and the often imitated but never duplicated City of Chicago coffee mug. So you sit down with your staff and talk about what's happening. This is the mug that you wanna use. I wanna thank everybody for being with us today. Once again, uh, we partner with WGN Radio, so the program will be available on their blog site. And also, our. if you go to our website, you can also access today's program which was just a wonderful, wonderful discussion of reimagining transportation in the city of Chicago. So once again, we want to thank the Commissioner of the Department of Transportation, Gia Biagia, for joining us, and thank you, our viewers, for your support of the City Club of Chicago. Thank you.